Hello and welcome to episode number five of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. You can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on any number of services as at Sir Dr. JM. This is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where I talk about and discuss everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. In case you're new around here, you can find me on Apple Podcasts. And as I like to point out in every episode, I'm still trying to get on Google Podcast Services and other podcast services. But right now, I'm actually having a little bit of trouble. Um, Ran into some hiccups when trying to get that set up. And at the same time, ran into some hiccups these past couple weeks. So I'm actually a little late on recording. Um, If I'm being honest, I checked my run of show and I totally forgot about trying to get my podcast up on other services because of uh, some life events that have been going on and taking my attention other places. Now, I also wanted to point out that I've actually got some new equipment that I'm recording with. So hopefully you notice a little bit of an improvement in the sound quality and the audio quality, I guess, which is kind of the same thing, but whatever. Um... I just wanted to point that out because I myself will be playing it back and checking to see if things are sounding a little better, a little worse, what the situation is, and I can modify my setup from there. Now, I also, speaking of my recording woes, I wanted to apologize because this episode is definitely posting quite a bit later than most episodes. I had been recording on Tuesday or Wednesday and posting on Friday. Um, I had mentioned in episode 4 that I wasn't actually going to be able to watch a lot of the games that weekend because I was actually at my company retreat. Um, Now that that's all over and I'm back to uh, my normal routine, I was expecting to be able to record a normal episode. However, things got even more thrown off when I had a very sick child that I had to take care of for a little bit there. And then I got sick in turn from that. I had almost no voice. I knew if I tried to record, I might not even be able to get through a full episode because my voice would be totally gone if it wasn't already. So I was taking some time letting that heal. And then I also had a bit of an accident at the house. So anyways, it was a whole thing. It's all taken care of now. I think we'll be all right. But As this is the case, I'm actually recording this episode after watching the uh, Week 5 weekend in the Overwatch League. So when it comes to the section where I do an OWL recap, I'll talk very briefly about Week 4. But at this point, we've already seen Week 4 and we've seen Week 5. So I'll touch on Week 4 a little bit just for continuity's sake, I suppose. But then my recap will really be about Week 5 because those games just happened and just finished couple hours ago that said as well i don't truly know if i'm gonna record another episode this week or not because like i said the game's just ended so it's sunday night normally i record on tuesday wednesday which would mean um that we're looking at maybe a day or two of news and honestly i mean there isn't typically that much news to cover so i just don't know if it'll be worth it i might edit this episode tuesday wednesday and then maybe post it a little early or just post it on Friday and then go back to my regular recording schedule. All of that said, again, last week I enjoyed my format, which I had actually picked from the week prior. 
So, now that I'm through my intro and you know you're listening to One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast, I think I'll get right on into the news. My first news story this week, well, kind of last week I suppose, is about the Boston Uprising ahead of week five. Now, I pulled this article from .esports.com, and it was written by Rachel Samples, so go ahead and check out that article, but I'll read you a snippet. Boston Uprising sign Halo ahead of week five. Boston Uprising will step on stage for their fourth game of the 2020 Overwatch League season this weekend with a new support player in their lineup. The team has acquired Kobe Halo Hammond from the North American Overwatch contenders team Triumph, the Boston-based team announced today. Quote, Halo has been competing at a... Let's start over. Quote, Halo has been competing at a consistent level for years, and we think he has the potential to be a great addition to the team, end quote, the Uprising's president of gaming, Chris Huck Loringer, said. Quote, we welcome him to the Uprising and are excited to begin working with him, end quote. Now, I bring up this uh, article because... As we now know, Boston was playing this weekend, and if I actually jump over to the schedule for week five, I'm just going to take a quick peek. I believe they played two games. Yes, they played a game yesterday. They played a game today as well. Uh, spoilers for the OWL recap that we'll go into later. They lost both those games. Um, so, yeah, not too sure that Halo made a super big impact, especially after the game today, but we'll talk about that later. Anywho, congrats on Halo being signed, or congrats to Halo, and congrats to the Boston Uprising organization for bringing him in, because it's always exciting to see new talent coming on up. Now, there isn't a ton of news this week, so the second article I'm going to look at is actually, again, about the Boston Uprising. Lots of Boston Uprising news this week. The article is, again, from .esports.com, and this time it is by everyone's favorite, Liz Richardson. The article reads a little bit like this. The Boston Uprising will have one fewer damage dealer for the rest of their 2020 Overwatch League season. Byun Munchkin Sangbyom has left the Boston Uprising for unknown reasons, the team announced today. Quote, we are respectful of his decision to depart from the team and wish him luck in his next adventure, said Chris Huck Loringer, president of Gaming for the Uprising. Now, that obviously could tie into the acquisition that they made with uh halo coming on which i just spoke of previously um that said i mean the two could be totally independent but the timing does seem a little suspicious if you ask me now munchkin leaving um I don't read too much into these things unless you know that there's been bad blood and everything. If you're interested in that, if you're a huge Boston fan, go check out Liz Richardson's article on .esports.com. But personally, I think we're just going to move on because, again, like I said, uh, Boston, uh, they didn't do too well this weekend. And also, the more exciting news stories are coming up right after this. And let's talk about them now. So, the next news stories that I have to talk about are actually all about the hero pools for this coming week. So, first I'm going to talk about the hero pool for the Overwatch League, then I'll talk about the hero pool in regular competitive mode, and then I'm actually going to briefly touch on the hero pool for week 6, which was just announced after the games that just aired. So, 
the week five hero pool posted by Blizzard on overwatchleague.com went something like this. And just so we're all aware, I'll recap really quickly what the hero pool is. So the Overwatch League actually had this written on their, their site there or their news posting. So I'm just going to read it directly goes like this. The hero pool system features a weekly rotation of playable heroes intended to improve quality of play, hero diversity, and strategy to matches. Each week, four heroes will be removed from play. Two damage, one tank, and one support. For week five matches at the Washington Justice homestand on March 7th and 8th, that was yesterday and today, the heroes out of rotation are Damage, McCree, and Widowmaker, Tank, Reinhardt, and support, Moira. So, what did that look like this weekend? Well, I was going to say, what will this look like coming up? And I would have said it'll look like things are probably pretty drastically changing because at least two of those characters are quite integral to the meta right now, although that's not to say they're exclusively being played, because a lot of teams have been experimenting with dive comps and bunker comps um, without Reinhardt um, and relying a lot more on Winston. What did that look like this weekend? Well, obviously there was no Reinhardt, so pretty much every team had to play a different uh, tank line. For the most part, I would say they all kept their diva in the off-tank role, um, but that said, generally speaking, I'd say they were swapping out Reinhardt with Winston and doing kind of a dive comp, or if they w didn't want to do that or weren't comfortable, whatever, they were typically rolling maybe Orisa instead of, uh, Reinhardt, which, you know, sub shield for shield, plus you've got the pull, so that kind of, uh, can impact things a little bit. We did occasionally as well in the case of, uh, the Boston Uprising see Sigma coming out, although, I mean, that definitely didn't didn't uh, play well for Boston, um, which is why I don't think we saw that uh, being played by too many other teams. So the Reinhardt being out of rotation in the tank roll definitely made a big impact. The other one that made a pretty large impact was McCree being pulled out of the damage pool. Because of that, I would have... Sorry about that. I would have assumed that we would see a lot more Reaper May being played. But again, with Reinhardt being pulled out of the tank role, you tend not to see as much May because May does, typically speaking, want to get up close and personal so she can freeze guys, especially with her Blizzard. She can toss it out, obviously, and freeze a whole group. That said, we did still see a little bit of May because there were other characters and, and you know, D.Va can give her some protection and things like that. But regardless, I would say we probably saw a significant less amount of May as well as a result of not having Reinhardt. And McCree being able to uh, hang out in the back line and pick people off definitely made a bit of a bit of a big impact on most teams. Most teams were playing McCree prior to this weekend. On top of that, with Widowmaker being pulled out of damage as well, we saw two of the probably most played sort of long-range characters that, uh, you know, those hit-scan snipers being pulled out. So, and on top of that, we saw Philadelphia with Carpe, who, you know, is kind of known for his Widowmaker play. And we saw some other teams really having to force their damage players to kind of flex onto other he heroes because both McCree and Widowmaker were pulled out. Um, so it was it was quite interesting. We saw a bit of a range of 
of uh, support or damage, sorry, damage characters being played. Um, there was a lot of, I mean, like I said, a little bit of May, a little bit of Reaper, uh, quite a bit of Tracer, actually. I was a little bit surprised to see that, but, you know, not disappointed. And then uh, one character we actually saw a decent amount of was Soldier 76, which, uh, as we'll discuss shortly, is a little bit too bad because he may or may not have gotten pulled out of the next week. Anyways, so that's what that kind of looked like. And then on the support front, having Moira pulled out, yeah, definitely was a, you know, a bit of a change because we do see Moira played relatively often, I would say. I mean, obviously she wouldn't have been in the pool, in the, you know, potential, uh, whatever you want to call it. She wouldn't have been on the chopping block if she hadn't been being played a significant amount. But at the same time, I think teams on the support side tend to be able to or have a little more room to flex. So generally speaking, you know, you're, I would say most teams have a solid Lucio player, a solid Moira player, but those characters can often flex onto Brig if they need to, or Ana, or um, is there someone else I was thinking? Let's just go with that. Um, so having Moira out of the equation didn't, I think, impact things too, too much. Now then, moving on out of the Overwatch League hero pools. So those were the characters that were locked out of play for the Overwatch League in Week 5. But there is, of course, also the regular competitive mode hero pool. And I'm actually going to pull this from Pedro Perez, again, at .esports.com, because that's one of the only sites that I use, because that's one of the sites where I find the most information. So his article goes like this. Overwatch's competitive season 21 kicks off with May, Orisa, Hanzo, and Baptiste bands. The initial hero pool won't allow players to select May, Hanzo, Orisa, or Baptiste. The four characters take a prominent spot in the meta, and the choice to disable them from competitive play is likely aimed at keeping the meta fluid. The hero pools in ranked games will differ greatly from the ones in the Overwatch League. Pros will have to deal with a different set of bands altogether and won't be able to use McCree, Widowmaker, Reinhardt, or Moira in the Overwatch League. I threw in that last little bit there just to, again, point out the difference between the two hero pool um, cuts for this, for this past week kind of thing. Now, that's definitely a little bit more or less, I'm not sure. It's interesting, that's for sure, because it, in a lot of ways, it highlights the difference between the level of play when you look at the Overwatch League versus just, you know, competitive mode, if you ask me, because, like, let's let's compare the two, okay? So we've got Mei and Hanzo being pulled out, where on the damage front in the Overwatch League, we had McCree and Widowmaker. So you've definitely got Hanzo kind of matching that McCree and Widowmaker style, and then you've got Mei, who I would have, well, who I know was in the on the chopping block again with the Overwatch League, but it just happened that different characters were, were pulled. I'm actually a little bit surprised that all four pulls were different, but that does also say that those characters were maybe, or potentially at least being played even more than the ones that got picked in the Overwatch League. Now, May and Hanzo both being pulled out does force quite a bit of a change, May especially because of her her slowdown abilities and everything that I talked about earlier. Hanzo, because, you know, he does fulfill that role of McCree and Widowmaker, but Hanzo a little less impactful, likely. Because, again, most of the time, I would say, if you have a teammate who plays uh, Hanzo fairly well, they can flex onto McCree or Widowmaker. So, 
you know, Hanzo a little less impactful than May probably. Next up with the Orisa um, compared to the Reinhardt. Again, kind of two sides of the same coin. I would say Orisa was pulled out on the competitive side probably purely by chance, whereas Reinhardt wound up for the Overwatch League. I'm actually kind of glad that Reinhardt wound up being the one pulled for the Overwatch League because it definitely changed things up more than I think having Orisa pulled out of uh, the competitive side in regular play affects things. And then Baptiste on the support side. Baptiste is the other one I meant when I was talking support on the other side. Um, again, I think with the support characters, it's generally speaking um, not too, too bad when one with only one character being pulled out because most support players, I think, can flex, or at least if you have a, a solid team, they can flex onto one of the other support characters. And I don't know why that is. That's actually something kind of interesting now that I think about it. But... Baptiste also being one of the newest heroes, I would say that most people who probably main him can also main another support character. So that's kind of what the hero pools looked like for week five of the Overwatch League, as well as at the start of the regular competitive mode in regular Overwatch play. So next up, I want to talk about the hero pools that were just announced for week six in the Overwatch League. And of course, this was drawn right after the um, final games on Sunday, March 8th, that were played in Washington. I believe we were hosted in Washington. That sounds right. So, for or on the tank side, first character that was pulled, Winston. Now, this is kind of the, honestly, the if you ask me, it's going to be kind of the ebb and flow of the hero pools because with Reinhardt being pulled out as I mentioned before we saw a lot of teams swinging over to a dive comp or a bunker comp and with that a lot of tanks were switching to Winston now obviously Winston has been pulled but this also means that Reinhardt is back in because no character can be uh, can be cut two weeks in a row so Reinhardt comes back Winston goes out guess what most teams are probably gonna switch back over to the Winston I was actually kind of hoping we would see D.Va get pulled because I think D.Va right now in the off-tank role is, uh, I mean, at least if you look at the, the play of Week 5, I think D.Va is a bit of a difference maker and having a really solid D.Va player who can um, flex into that, well, not even flex, but who can blast into that back line and kind of make a difference there can really change the tide of a battle. So anyways, I would have almost preferred to see like I say, maybe D.Va pulled out instead of Winston. And seeing Winston pulled out made me shrug a little bit because everyone, if, if you ask me, everyone's just going to flex back onto Reinhardt. So, oh well, it is what it is. We're probably going to see Reinhardt and Orisa played the most with D.Va played as the off-tank role. Moving on to support, the support character that was pulled is Lucio. Now, I do actually think Lucio is probably one of the most interesting support characters to be pulled i'm not going to go into all the stuff i already said about support characters but having lucio pulled in particular is interesting because most teams i would say do consistently have a lucio they might have an anna and a brig or they might have a uh, i don't know baptiste and a brig or baptiste and a moira or something like that but generally speaking lucio is relied on at least in certain game modes to get a team up to the point or teams will flex onto Lucio 
when overtime is running out or the clock is counting down, that kind of thing. So having Lucioppold is actually maybe one of the most interesting support characters to not have there. Uh, actually, going back to Moira being pulled, that was a, a little bit interesting because obviously you used to have teams rely on her coal, not rely on, but utilize her coalescence really quite a bit because it builds so fast, which, you know, maybe that could be a balancing change, but I think that's kind of a, a part of the strategy of Moira is that she builds her coalescence really fast. So she can then use it as, you know, a really good form of either a last resort to kind of save one person, keep someone alive um, on the point, or as a good measure of crowd control in a similar way that Hanzo will use his ult as crowd control. So it was interesting having Moira unavailable, but at the same time, um, I already talked about all that other stuff. So anyways, Lucio being pulled out is potentially interesting, but, you know, I mean, this is only the second time, but the more I see this, the more I wonder if it would be more interesting if they were banning two tank and two support characters. But, I mean, that also gets crazy and maybe overdoes it a little bit. Think about the repercussions of that. That would kind of mean if you pull or if you put two tanks out of the game, you could potentially wind up with two main tanks being pulled, which means every main tank is going to be playing the same tank. So maybe that wouldn't quite work. But anyways, food for thought. Moving on from Lucio, the damage characters that were banned for week six, or, or cut from week six, the first one that was pulled was Soldier, which it was pretty funny because, you know, the guys on the Watchpoint post show uh, were joking that, oh, you know, Soldier's returned to play for the first time in three years or two years, and now he's going to get pulled, and then sure enough, he got pulled. So it, it was interesting this past weekend to see Soldier being played, um, watching the games with my wife. She even actually said to me, um, she looked up at one point and she said, I don't think I've ever seen Soldier played. And I said, yeah, that's because honestly, there've always been more impactful characters to play. But in, in this, you know, hero band meta, Soldier made it back in somehow. And honestly, we saw some really good play from some, some certain teams and certain players. Um, you know, nay, 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 to name one. Nay, 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 <laughs> nay, nay, to name one. Moving on from Soldier, though, um, like I said, I mean, it'll be sad to see him go, but hey, you know, with when, with McCree and and Widowmaker both coming back into play, I suspect things are just going to swing back to Reinhardt, McCree, and Widowmaker, or Reinhardt and McCree and a variety of other things. But anyways, moving on. The next damage hero that was pulled is Sombra. So that will be a little bit interesting, mostly because Sombra has probably one of the best ults in the game um especially when you see people who are pretty decent at playing her um this weekend we saw stratus playing her and in the past we've seen surefor play her um pretty well as well as i'm trying to think san francisco had someone who played her quite well it wasn't sinatra i can't remember who else played her on uh, on san francisco it could have been sinatra anyways sombra being pulled will be interesting because of the lack of EMP in that situation. And I would, I certainly think there are teams that not so much rely on Sombra, but utilize her well to get into a backline and, you know, negate a character or even especially negate a support character. Um, that's always, always a, a big impact when that can kind of happen, especially if you can, 
you know, disable them and then stop them entirely um, or the get the kill on them. So it'll be interesting with no Sombra. But again, I mean, I think for the most part, we're just going to see teams going back to uh, McCree for one and then, you know, potentially Widowmaker, May, that kind of thing. So it'll be interesting. But overall, I think this week, not as impactful as the first week, simply because in the first week, we got probably two of the most played characters being pulled. So on to the next part of the show because that is all the news I have to talk about. Next up is the Owl Recap. So in this part of the show, I like to go over the previous week and talk about what all happened and dive into the games a little bit. That said, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, I missed a lot of week four. I did actually catch most of the games on Sunday, but because of my recording schedule and and life and everything. I'm not going to do a super deep dive into week four. I'll talk quite a bit more about week five because, as I mentioned a few hours ago, week five just happened. So, week four, I want to give a little bit of credit to just because it, you know, paints a prettier picture in terms of the overall standings and everything. So, looking at week four, it was hosted by the Houston Outlaws. And... Um, luckily enough, the Houston Outlaws won one of their games, which, you know, I always like to see a home team win unless their name is San Francisco, because as I've mentioned before, I'm a Vancouver Titans fan, but Hey, um, Houston also, if you ask me, needed the win because they were getting beat pretty bad. So big winners out of the week four weekend. Again, uh, I'm not going to touch on all of these games. I'll just kind of highlight some of them. So big winners, I would say, were the London Spitfire. Coming off of a few losses, it was uh, good to hear. Well, I mean, not like I have a horse in the race when it comes to London, but good for them hearing that they actually managed to pull out two wins. So they were kind of the big winner of the week, of the weekend because they were the only team that won two games. Um, so they won their first game on Saturday against Houston, the hosting team. And then they won their second game on Sunday against the Florida Mayhem. Um, And both games 3-2. So had I been watching, I probably would have said pretty close games. And, you know, the Florida one for me stings a little bit just because I like Florida and I want to see them do well. And uh, also because on the other side of things, the big losers of the weekend, one was the Toronto Defiant and the other was the Florida Mayhem. As I mentioned, I'm, you know, I think I have a secret love for Florida, although at this point it's not too secret, but I really want to see them do well because they used to do so bad, and then, you know, I feel like they reinvented themselves with these new team colors, new jerseys, and all this fun stuff, and a new team, and everything. Um, But they, like I say, they lost both their matches during week four. The first one was the first match of the weekend against the New York Excelsior. They 3 and owed them, so boohoo there. The second match was, again, against the London Spitfire, where it was 3-2, and I believe I actually watched that one and it did look like Florida might potentially be able to make something out of it, um, you know, turn it into a win, but then in the end, they just couldn't come up clutch. And looking at the standings, uh, yeah, it was actually back and forth, back and forth, and then London just came out with the second, or with the third and final point there. So anyways, 
Uh, Florida, one of the big losers of the weekend. The other big loser, the Toronto Defiant, which if you've been listening to this show, again, you know I have kind of a secret want for Toronto to do well, and unfortunately they just can't catch a break. So their first game was on Saturday against the Atlanta Reign, which was the first game we had seen Atlanta play, and Atlanta 3 and owed them. So good for all you Atlanta fans, too bad for Toronto. And then on Sunday, the final game of the weekend was a 3-1 to win for Houston against Toronto, which, again, I always like seeing the home team win. Um, so, you know, good to see that, but also at the same time because I wanted Toronto to win. Yeah, it's too bad. And looking at the standings, actually, after this weekend, looks like Houston has climbed into the 11th spot, which good for them because they were sitting at the bottom with, I think, four losses prior to uh, that win against Toronto. Toronto. Um, and in 11th spot, they have just overtaken the Toronto Defiant in position 12 with one win and four losses. Houston having two wins, five losses. Looking at the teams below them, um, it's a little disappointing because one, two, three, four, five, five of those teams haven't played any games at all, and that's the only reason they're tied for 14th place in this in the league. So, so that was that. Um, like I said, I'm not going to go too much into that week. That's about all I'll talk about. But I should also mention Philly won another game um, that in week four putting them into the top spot. I believe at the time they would have had four wins and no losses there. So that was exciting. That might have actually been win five. Yeah, I think that was win five. Let's just check. Yeah, that was likely win five. So interesting stuff there, but I digress. Moving on to week five. This was the week that just happened, so literally today, as of recording, Sunday, March 8th, and the day before, Saturday, March 7th, we had a handful of games, looks like six games, hosted by the Washington Justice. Now, Saturday, March 7th, I didn't actually have a chance to watch a ton of the games because of some life stuff that was going on that I don't want to talk about right now, but... If we look at Sunday, I actually did watch most of the games there, and I would say for the most part, it was a pretty exciting weekend. So first game on day one was the Toronto Defiant against the Florida Mayhem. Now, as I just talked about, I'm a fan, kind of a closeted fan of both of these teams. So who did I want to win? I don't know. But Florida came out on top with a 3-1 to win over the Toronto Defiant. So good for Florida, too bad for Toronto. Again, I I would have liked to see both of these teams win, and because they were facing off against each other, I am, you know, I guess kind of happy about it. And at the same time, you know, I'm disappointed in Toronto, but I'm happy for Florida. So, cool. Kudos to them. The next game saw the Paris Eternal coming back to face against... face off against the Houston Outlaws. Now, looking at the Paris Eternal they would have been 3-1 and one at this point. They wound up losing this game to Houston 3-0. and oh. So that was a bit of a shock because they were definitely, Paris was looking pretty good, and they were one of the, you know, higher in the standings teams, and that would have made them 3-2. and two. Now, that would have sucked for them had they not come back on Sunday and won their match against Philadelphia, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But... Paris losing to Houston 
was a pretty big deal because Houston had previously not won a single game. So the fact that they 3 and owed them was, in my books at least, crazy. Um, I don't think anyone predicted that Houston was going to take it from them, and by all means, they did. As I mentioned, I didn't quite watch too much of the games on Saturday, so I don't truly know what really happened there, but everything I've read and everything I've heard says that Paris really just kind of flubbed it and didn't look like they had their shit together at all. But good for Houston, because, you know, after getting their first win the weekend before, maybe that's a change of tides for them. Maybe that's all they needed, and now they'll be a roll-in. Looking at the standings, they are in 11th place, as I had spoke of just moments ago, with a record of 2-5. and five. So by all means, you know, they're they're not doing too stellar, but since their two wins, or since their first win even, they haven't had too many matches. So who knows, maybe this is the kick in the pants they needed, and maybe they'll kind of take off from here. The final game on Saturday was the Boston Uprising against the Washington Justice, and we saw Boston lose with a score of 3-1 to one in favor of Washington. Now, Boston, again, not showing a whole lot of strength. And if we look at the standings for Boston, they've won one game. They have a record of one win, four losses, which is actually the same as the Toronto Defiant. The Toronto Defiant are only ahead of them because of the map differential. So Toronto in 12th, Boston in 13th place. And, I mean, at the time of saying that, Boston would have been ahead of Toronto, but because of their loss in the final match on Sunday, they are actually now sitting below them. Now then, moving on to day two, Sunday, March 8th. I did watch most of these games, or, you know, not the each game in its entirety, but most of each of those games, and that was a blast. It felt really good to finally get back to my normal life and just be able to watch some of these games. So, the first game on Sunday, the Paris Eternal against the Philadelphia Fusion. What a match. Um, I think, although, like I said, Paris had been doing relatively well, especially after their loss against Houston the day before, I think everyone largely favored Philadelphia, especially, again, with Philadelphia's winning record, um, putting them, I believe, previously, they were in first place with four wins and zero losses. Nope, five wins and zero losses. But because they got beat by Paris, they dropped down to fourth place with five wins, one loss. Now, that result is a little bit skewed because the number one and two teams right now are the Vancouver Titans, woohoo, and the San Francisco Shock, woo in uh, number one and two place, respectively. And that's only because they've only played two games and then one game respectively. So Vancouver has two wins and zero losses. San Francisco has one win and zero loss, which means, you know, because it goes wins and then losses, they are ahead of everyone else. So not quite the most accurate ranking right now. Uh, those two teams will definitely probably place somewhere, I would say, between looking at the standings three and six um, in the weeks to come as they get to play more games and other teams, you know, have a bit of a break. But I digress because the point is Philly wasn't first with this loss. They have dropped to fourth place with a record of five and one. Big deal that Paris beat them, though. Paris looked really good, especially considering their loss against Houston, which was, like I say, one of the worst teams. The fact that they were able to regroup, you know, 
gather their composure and not only play back-to-back games, but play back-to-back games against probably the worst team where they lost and then the best team where they won, it was a big deal. And, you know, again, it was a nail-biter in the end when it came down to the um, the final control point. It was really close, and it could have gone to either team, but Paris was able to hold on to it. A few highlights from Paris um, playing against Philadelphia. I think Paris looked really good shutting down the back line of Philadelphia. They really were able to get in there and take them out um, in no short part thanks to XE um, and his soldier play. I think he had a really good Soldier 76 going, which, again, you know, is whatever, because now Soldier's banned, and honestly, we probably won't see him back in the meta too, too much, unless, you know, I guess unless it, it all depends on who else gets banned the following week. But I digress, because it was also really fun to watch Tracer v. Tracer um, with Carpe on the Philadelphia side and Soon on the Paris side. Um, I mean, I find Tracer to be one of the more interesting damage heroes to... C played at a high level. Um, you know, Sinatra is no exception to that. I definitely think he's one of the best tracers in the league. Although he doesn't often play tracer because there are other better or more in the meta characters for him to play that he also plays at a very high level. But I digress. It was really exciting to watch Tracer v. Tracer. Moving on from that match, we saw the New York Excelsior face off against the home team, the hosting Washington Justice, and the New York Excelsior took the win 3-1. to one. Um, I don't think anyone was too, too surprised by that, although things did start off pretty well for Washington. Um, there were definitely sort of glimpses of greatness in Washington. I think uh, I was impressed impressed by them at times. They definitely held their own in the beginning. And they had some, actually, they had a really solid somber play, which, again, you know, I don't know if they play next week because I like to look at the next week of games on the show and be surprised and everything with all of you as as we read through it. But... If, uh, if they do play next week, their Sombra play was quite good this past week, so too bad for them because Sombra's now locked out. Um, you know, a couple of the highlights on King's Row. We saw um, New York flanking uh, Washington at one point, just after they had captured the payload and started to push it. We saw Nene kind of lead the charge um, on the New York side and flank from above, drop down, and use uh, Soldier's Ult and just take them by surprise and really catch them off guard. So that was fun to watch for sure. They also at one point, um, you know, another highlight on Horizon Lunar Colony, they had again a lot of really good Sombra play. Um, I, I can't quite remember what exactly it was, but with Sombra hiding in the corner and just popping out at just the right time, um, it really made a difference for Washington. Washington was actually able to hold on to... They lost A pretty quickly. They were able to hold on to B for, I think it was like 5 minutes and 15 seconds or something like that. Um, New York was not able to push them off of B for long enough for them to cap it. So, like I say, they defended B for 5-plus minutes, which was crazy. On Horizon Lunar Colony, you know... Um, I think you typically see either a steamroll or a really long drawn out match. And this was definitely actually, I guess a bit of both because a was taken pretty quickly. Um, definitely didn't think that Washington was going to be able to hold B for that long, but they did. Um, New York was not able to cap B. The only problem was when Washington then had their chance on the offense, um, they weren't even able to take a, so it didn't really matter that New York couldn't take B because, 
uh, they did finish off A. So that was that, and New York took it 3-1. The final match of the weekend was Boston against Atlanta, and Atlanta took the win 3 to nothing. So overall, I mean, you want to talk big winners, you want to talk big losers. Big loser of the weekend was Boston. They didn't come up with a single win. They lost to Washington, and they lost to Atlanta. Washington being one of the more middle-of-the-pack teams. I'm just going to pull up the standings here. Washington, yeah, Washington is in 10th place right now with two wins and four losses. And, you know, as I've mentioned before, Washington in 10th. Well, guess what? I've already talked about the 11th spot. Houston Outlaws, the 12th spot, Toronto Defiant, and the 13th spot, Boston Uprising. So Washington is only just barely leading that pack. And actually, I mean, if we look one ahead of them, Florida is is right above them. So that whole sort of ninth seed right now down to 13th is that kind of middle of the pack. You know, most of these teams could win, could lose. When you get to the sort of Houston Outlaws in the 11th place and then Toronto 12, Boston 13, that's kind of the, eh, they're probably more likely to lose, but they could get lucky. They could pull out a win with, um, you know, Washington and Florida above them being the ones that you're probably probably okay to pick pulling out a win. Um, but, you know, I digress because Atlanta won it ultimately, and Atlanta has at this point played three games, and they are sitting with two wins and one loss, which puts them in sixth place. So right now, I mean, well, to talk about that game, there wasn't too much to talk about. Honestly, Atlanta kind of steamrolled Boston. Boston had some que- questionable choices, I think. Um, they played, or they had Mufin playing on Sigma, which, especially against Atlanta, playing as strongly as they were, I think they needed to adapt to that more, and they just didn't. Um, at the same time, Atlanta had some really solid play, um, the one notable one being Hawk on D.Va. Um, he was playing a really good off-tank um, game really charging players, really getting up in, you know, in Jerry's grill and shutting Jerry down on the Hanzo, um, as well as just being able to dive into the back line, take people out, or even just peel them off so that they um, couldn't focus fire on on the rest of the team. Now, getting back to the standings, what I was going to say, things are definitely starting to flush them out flush themselves out a little more um we're seeing teams with more games under their belt um rising to the top or rising to the bottom or that kind of middle of the pack so you know right now we have new york in third place with five wins and one loss so new york looking strong we also have philadelphia in fourth place just one below them with again five wins and one loss and it's only the map differential of plus one separating the two so both of those teams looking quite good And then right under that in fifth place, we have Paris with four wins and two losses. So all three of those teams have played six games at this point, and it's only one win separating Paris from the other two. So those teams looking good. The standings, like I say, starting to balance themselves out. In sixth place, um, we have the Atlanta Reign with three games under their belt. And then in seventh place, we have the London Spitfire with five games. So... You know, three to five, that difference is a little bit significant because if Atlanta wins one, yeah, they, I mean, they stay where they are with three and one. If they lose, though, they then drop down to two and three, which drops them three or four positions down to that Florida Washington Justice area, right? So there's lots of, uh, you know, call it volatility right now in the standings, but I think we're starting to see the, the top teams rise to the top and some of the more middling teams fall to the middle or the bottom of the middle 
Obviously, the only sort of caveat to that is that we've had a lot of games canceled or postponed. This is actually the first week um, that in the news section I didn't I didn't talk about any major coronavirus related delays or cancellations in games. Um, so it'll be interesting still to see where some of those games are rescheduled because ultimately I think these teams need to play those games in order to balance things out. You know, that's why we're seeing a lot of these teams only having played as many as they have played or not having played at all yet is because they were supposed to have played or supposed to have hosted games even and those have been postponed or delayed uh, or canceled. Well, I don't I don't know if they've actually canceled games. I think they've just, like I say, postponed or delayed them. So anyways, the standings are a little bit wonky right now, but I think, you know, teams with four, five, six wins, I mean games, sorry, not wins, are starting to kind of land where they will land ultimately. Um, so I'm looking at, you know, Boston in 13th and then moving upwards. So Boston's played five games. Toronto's played five games. Um, Houston's played seven games, actually. Washington's played six. Florida's played five. Um, and then we have, you know, in eighth place, the LA Valiant, who's only played two games. So that's kind of one of those jackknifes, if you will, where they'll probably sink or, or rise to a, a different position from where they're at now. Um, looking at London Spitfire in seventh, they have five games. Atlanta Rain at this point have only played three games, and they're in sixth. So again, comparatively, the the five sixes and sevens compared to the teams that have only played maybe two, three, even one game, like San Francisco in second place, I think we'll see those ones change quite a bit. If you drop down to the bottom bottom of the standings, actually, you look at the LA Gladiators in nineteenth place, and the Dallas Fuel in the last position. Um, those teams have both only, well, LA's only played one game and Dallas has only played two. Yes, both of those teams lost all of their games so far, but because they've only played one and, and two games, you know, again, there's a good chance that they will rise or fall, um, to a different place and we'll see a lot of these other teams move quite a bit. Um, again, tied for 14th, we've got Chengdu Hunters, Hangzhou Spark, Gangzhou Charge, Shanghai Dragons, and Seoul Dynasty, because all of those games were, uh, canceled or postponed for now, so... So that's kind of what this past week and honestly the week before looked like. Um, so this is the point in the show where I like to jump over to the next week in, in the league, which is week six. And I'll take you to, I like to call this part of the show, Owl Flying at ya. At ya, at ya. So week six will be hosted by the Florida Mayhem at the Watsco Center at the University of Miami. Okay, University of Miami. That's that's a kind of a cool one. I've never been to Miami, um, but uh, that that would be fun. I bet. Um, God, I just love Florida's colors so much. Looking at the the kind of hot pink and that baby blue. Ah, oh, they look so good. I like Gangzhou's colors as well, which are almost the same. So these games will take place on Saturday, March 14th, and Sunday, March 15th. And looking at the schedule, one, two, three, four, five, six, looks like we've got six games to come. Now, a lot of familiarity looking at these teams. These are kind of the same teams we've been seeing play a lot. Um, and again, this is largely because of the game cancellations and everything. You know, the league right now is not incredibly balanced because so many of these games have been canceled or postponed, particularly in the um, Pacific Conference. 
if you if you look at all those teams that I mentioned with only a few wins or, or only a few games played or no games played, that's because they're all Pacific Conference, right? So those games are all, uh, you know, TBD kind of thing. Whereas the Atlantic Conference kind of continues on as, you know, business as usual. All of those teams, with the exception of Atlanta, have played minimum five games. And looking at this weekend, you know, no shortage of Atlantic teams playing. So, first game, Saturday, March 14th at... Oh, interesting, 12 o'clock my time. So, normally, I would say games are usually 1, 3, and 5. Looks like they're 12, 2, and 4 this coming weekend. Um, so, interesting. But, first game of the weekend will be the New York Excelsior facing off against the Atlanta Reign. So, looking over at the standings, New York Excelsior currently in third place with five wins, one loss. In the Atlanta Reign, as I mentioned earlier... Um, sitting in sixth place with two wins and one loss. This will be an interesting one because this could be a chance for Atlanta to really flex, uh, flex their muscles and show people what they're made of. Um, if they do end up winning, then they actually won't move in the standings just because they'll move up to three and one and Paris is in fifth with four and two. So Paris already has, you know, more, more wins than them. Um, but regardless, that should be an interesting one. Um, New York could really show their might, or Atlanta could, um, like I say, flex and take them out. So either way, that'd be an interesting one. The safe money is on New York, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to place my money on Atlanta. I'm going to say they're going to come out strong, and they're going to take out Jonak and, and Animo and all of them and win it. The next game at 2 p.m. that day, at least 2 p.m. my time, is the London Spitfire facing off against the Philadelphia Fusion. Now, Philadelphia, as I mentioned, same record as New York with 5-1 and one and 6 games played. Meanwhile, the London Spitfire, who came out of the gate slow, didn't have a lot of wins in the first couple weeks, but has begun to turn things around, sitting at 3 wins and 2 losses in 7th place. So they're actually right below Atlanta. So interesting that we've got New York facing off Atlanta, and then right below New York we've got Philadelphia, and then right below Atlanta we've got London facing off against each other. Um, after this past weekend, you know, I think... Paris kind of showed everyone that, hey, Philadelphia is maybe not the end-all be-all. Um, although, you know, again, New York in third, Philadelphia in fourth, Paris in fifth. So that's an interesting group right there. But London with three wins and two losses, you know, London could be on a bit of a hot streak. Um, I can't remember if they won or lost their last game. But regardless, they've been looking a lot better lately. So who knows? They, they definitely could pull out a win. Um, you know, similar situation to the previous game. Safe money is on Philadelphia. Um, do I want to take a risk and put my money on London? Honestly, I'm probably going to go Philadelphia pulls out a win as well. Um, and if New York and Philadelphia both win, then guess what? Again, no change in the standings there. Third and fourth place. Regardless, moving on to the next game. Um, looking at the next one, we've got the Paris Eternal facing off against the Florida Mayhem. So the hosting team playing against the uh, team from across the ocean with Paris Eternal. Now, Paris, again, I think they're going to be riding high off their win against Philadelphia. And Florida is not looking nearly as hot as them. Florida sitting in ninth place with two wins, three losses. And Paris sitting in fifth with four wins, two losses. Um... I would say that Florida stands to 
uh, stands with more at stake here. If they win, they could jump a couple teams and move up quite a bit in the standings, which I think would be fun for them, again, because they're the hosting team, and also because I do like Florida. Now, I like Paris as of last week, as of this past game because they beat Philadelphia, and, you know, unless it's my team winning, I always like to see a lesser, a quote-unquote lesser team take out one of the top dogs. So, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I want Florida to win. Do I think that'll happen? Kind of depends arguably more on Paris because like I said Paris really didn't seem to show up to that Houston game they lost um, on Saturday so it'll be interesting to see but uh, I'm gonna cross my fingers for Florida moving on to Sunday we then see the Toronto Defiant facing off against the Washington Justice now I feel like this is a tale as old as time again I feel like they've played Washington before although I could be wrong but regardless um that's one of those games that, if you ask me, I mean, if Toronto really wants to start rolling their season and start climbing a little bit, I think they need to win a game like that. Um, looking at Washington, you know, Washington is only right now two steps ahead of them, sitting at 10th, Toronto in 12th, and Washington has a record of 2-4, and four, where Toronto is 1-4. and four. So this is the kind of game where Toronto, if they want to start making something of their season, they really need to win it. Um, because they would jump up, let's see, let's see, they would actually do basically a swap with Washington. Um, so that would bode well for them if they could pull out that win. Moving on to the next game, we've got London coming back, and we've also got the Atlanta Rain coming back. So it'll be, it'll be looking at the standings. Oh, look at that. London and Atlanta are in 7th and 6th place right now, respectively. So that is a kind of an even match, kind of an uneven match, because Atlanta is less of a known quantity at this point. Atlanta has only played three games. Um, because of that Saturday game, they will have played four. But London has already played five because of that Saturday game, they will have played six. So time will tell where that lands. Like I said, um, you know, London will want to win that game because they'll be taking out one of or the game the day before because they'll have taken out one of the big dogs if they do. Um, if London can win against Philadelphia, I will definitely say they can win against Atlanta. Um, you know, regardless of the fact that we haven't seen as much of Atlanta, I think that's true. But uh, it's yet to be decided about that one. I'm I, that's actually kind of a, an interesting matchup. Could be a pretty tight game for sure. Moving on to the final game of the weekend, um, similar to, let me just double check, similar to the final game of this past weekend, we see Boston closing things out, but this time Boston is playing against the home team Florida Mayhem. Now, I've talked a lot of shit about Boston already this round, and I've talked a lot of uh, wishful thinking about Florida this round. Um, I'm going to say Florida will win this one, regardless of their performance the day before or anything like that. Um, not only that, I'm going to say they have to win this one because this is a similar situation to Toronto if they really want to start making something of their season. Right now they're kind of middle of the pack and they could easily stay there. If they lose, they will stay kind of middle of the pack. They'll drop a little bit depending on what else happens with the other teams. But if they win, they will take a couple steps up, um, especially if they win against Paris on Saturday. So... 
you know, I'm going to cross my fingers again for Florida. If Florida can come out with two wins this weekend, that'll be a big deal, especially looking at the team they play on Saturday with Paris. Less so against Boston, because I think most people are probably not expecting Boston to do much. But hey, look at Paris, who this past weekend lost against Houston, one of the worst teams in the league, or one of the teams with the worst record at that point, and turned it around and beat one of the best teams, you know? So any team can have an off game. Any team can have a, a standout game. So regardless, I'm going to cross my fingers for Florida and say that they have to win that game. And if they don't, I'll be disappointed. Now then, I believe that is it for this week's episode. Now this episode actually turned out to be a decent length, which I'm happy with because I missed out on last week's episode and everything. So as I said, um, I'm not too sure how much editing of this episode I'll do, but I'll give it a go and then I'll make sure I post it up. Maybe I'll make it my mission this week to get the Google podcast or the other podcast services thing sorted out. But just in case, for now, you can find this on Apple Podcasts. This was your one-man watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast, where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, again, I'm trying to tweet more. Mostly I just like shit. So if you follow me, I'll probably follow you back. And maybe I'll get on tweeting more and building up a little bit more of that. But regardless, you know, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends about this podcast. If you can't find it on another podcast service, um, you know, hey, tweet at me and that'll at least tell me, hey, people are listening and I should get on this. And then I'll get on it. Um, give this thing a listen. Let me know some feedback because I'm curious to see how the audio audio quality improved and everything. But anywho. That's going to be it for this episode of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM, signing off.